you've taken your first step into a larger world. The Force will be with you. Always. Welcome to First Steps, a Star Wars podcast, a journey from the Phantom Menace to the rise of Skywalker. Now, here are your hosts, Calvin, Andy, and Wyatt. Hello there. Welcome back to First Steps, a Star Wars podcast. A chronological, you know what? No, I can't even say that at this point. A journey through Star Wars from covering various media things. From the High Republic to the Rise of Skywalker, one story at a time. I My name is Calvin. I have seen a lot of Star Wars. My name's Wyatt. I have also seen and read a lot of Star Wars. That's right. Wars. We have read Star Wars this week. Go on, Andy. I've seen an adequate amount of Star Wars, and I've read a little bit. I've looked at some what's, pretty What's pictures. your name? Oh, my name's Andy. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> I felt like they just know it already. We have been on summer break and we're back and we're feeling cute, kooky and chaotic today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, before we get into the first steps episode itself, you know, just like we haven't we haven't been in your podcast podcatchers for the last couple of months. So, um, I don't know, just a little life update. All right. You know, y'all are in- incredibly curious as to what is going on in our lives. So, you know, we'll tell you. Um I, as of recording this, uh, tomorrow morning, I start grad school um, in Boston. So that's super fun and exciting. Um, So, yeah, life is about to get super chaotic for me. But, you know, we are going to be working through it because chaos is my M.O. Um, But other than that, I've just been chilling out here in in Salem for the summer. Living, working. Um, I work as a tour guide for one of the local historic sites. So that's been super fun. Just um, burning yeah. witches all over the place. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, no, a lot more Hawthorne involvement than witches. Um, anyway, uh, what about y'all? I, so I spent the summer in Prague. I was working on, I was uh, like, it was, I was there for six weeks and it was not a fun vacation. It was, um, I was doing a summer Shakespeare intensive. So it was just a lot of Shakespeare all of the time. And it feels good to be back talking about media that wasn't written hundreds of years ago. <laughs> so um, I've spent a lot of time talking about Shakespeare, although I've been interested in like drawing parallels between Shakespeare and Star Wars because there actually are like in the theatricality of of Star Wars, especially the comedy and the tragedy, like the those there- extremes. There is a series of books that does each movie as if it was a Shakespeare play. Yeah, it's all um, in um, Iambic Pentameter. I've been wanting yeah. to like read those, but I can't do the original trilogy. So I don't Obviously, know. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, they do. I believe- yeah. They do have the prequels. They have all nine movies. Oh, um, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so that you can definitely the get the. It's like the Phantom of Menace, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I've heard they're pretty good and that the guy who writes it is pretty good. It's not. It's it's pretty good use of iambic pentameter and the tell and both making sure it sounds right and it fits the vibe of both Shakespeare and Star Wars. I've heard good things, so I think you'd enjoy that. That's interesting. I will have to check that out. But yeah, that's like pretty much all I've done this summer is just be in Prague learning. Yeah. 
you moved house. You're in a new place. I'm in a new. Pl- I also moved. I was very ambitious, and I like okay. So this is like the actual like psycho timeline is I like went to LARP, and then I moved, and then I went to Prague, and then I got back from Prague the day before a LARP event. Like I literally got back that Thursday morning and left on Friday to go to LARP. And then came back home and, like, started unpacking all my shit out of my apartment. Nightmare timeline. <laughs> wow. You're a, you're a mad lad. You I'm a mad lad. devoted to LARP, and I admire that about you. I'm devoted to, oh, yeah. I'm devoted to my own insanity. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What have you done, I love Wyatt? you. I love you guys. I'm glad I have been watching, not watching, I've been, I've been working as a uh, reporter still. I, I work in journalism in Milwaukee. And it's been a busy summer. I've been reporting on a lot of things and that's it's mostly been work. And then uh, my partner and closest friend who live in the city uh, both work in schools. So we've had they both had the summer off. So been doing a lot of fun things when possible, taking a couple trips, mostly just relatively locally and uh, finally getting my apartment fully set up after a crazy last year. And then uh, letting the podcast setup get dust on it because I record in my closet. Uh, I actually had to move a large amount of clean laundry from hanging right above where my face goes and uh, (laughs) make sure I was able to get back in the game. Wait, can I add to my other thing? Can I add to what? (laughs) Yeah. What else have you been doing? I also I also recorded um, the season two of my podcast, Funky Foodies. Um, where I play this little, like, non-binary 13-year-old who's just very into nutrition named Frankie. Um, so if you have, like, kids and you're listening to this podcast, go go, uh, go listen to my other podcast. Um, yeah, so don't that, let your kids listen to money. this podcast. Yeah, don't let your kids listen to this podcast. I promise but there are no swear words in Funky Booties. And, um... Yeah, I want people to listen to it so then they give me more money next time. That's the goal. Yeah, and I, I don't really promote my journalism work on here because it's so different than what I do. And also, it's very local. So if if our, any of our listeners live in Wisconsin, then I will tell D, DM, the, DM one of our socials and I'll tell you what station I work for so you can hear me on the radio. So, so, so Wyatt can keep you updated on... The local news. It's all yeah. Googleable. If you Google and, my I mean, name, well, it's all no, Wisconsin stuff. is an absolutely fascinating state to look at politics wise. I yeah. Yeah. Plus, it's just weird. It's a weird <laughs> place. I love reporting on it. It's it's a it's a silly, silly state. Is there like re- really good cheese there? Is oh, it, like, yeah. Really a thing? Yep. Because that is like what people always think of is they're like Wisconsin has cheese. But like, how true is that? The dairy industry is still very strong, uh, and obviously the quality and quantity of cheese you can get just at the grocery store is greater than in other places. Really, uh, it's more that like the good cheese is is now local. You go to a you go to a cheese section in New York, and you're probably going to find some Wisconsin manufacturers. It's actually a lot of like Vermont cheese in New York. So yep, I also reported in <laughs> for a station in Vermont. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that is definitely true. Yeah. Um, listen in for our spinoff podcast, Cheese Watch, where <laughs> me and Wyatt talk about 
the I cheese don't, at Wisconsin. I, I don't even I don't even like cheese. <laughs> I am lactose intolerance. It's gonna be a great, great spinoff. Guys, wouldn't cheese watch be really funny? <laughs> there have been oh uh, god, what was it? Was it Beard Watch for the Kenobi series? <laughs> Lord, well, originally, yeah. oh, it was originally for, for uh the sequels for uh, a character, but Where a beard watch was a Star Wars fandom thing. Rating, rating the beards. No, watching to see if a certain actor had the beard to see if he was filming. Oh, that's interesting. That's actually well, very have... clever. All right, sweet. Well, um, you know, on the topic of um, more people watch or uh, um, consuming a media, and so the people involved in that media get a proportional increase in wages. <laughs> um, we should talk about. Um, uh, let's let's transition into Star Wars. And um, so when we close the most recent episode of First Steps way back in June, um, or was it May? I don't even remember. Um, but like we talked, we said that we were going to do um, a couple of episodes, the next two episodes of season two of Rebels, episodes seven and eight. But we are not going to talk about that today um, because the Writers Guild and um, of America and the Screen Actors Guild um, are both currently on strike right now. Um, in case you haven't been connected to yeah the news um those two unions are on strike and this is the first time in more than 60 years that um hollywood writers and actors have been on strike at the same time yeah you know it's a lot of there's a lot of things that the uh both of these unions are um wanting from the amptp that's the group that recognize that um represents all of the um big media corporations but a lot of it boils down to like residuals um people being paid for people continuing to get paid for the work that they have done you know uh pay your fucking writers and actors um, yeah like yeah. we're and also we're, ai stuff but but yeah. like we're obviously as a podcast with two actors on it and a journalist we're pretty like come on dude pay the writers and actors we're on their sides like, yeah. yeah, I mean, like these th- these unions are asking for what amounts to one or two percent of these people uh, of the company's profit earnings. Um, and I mean, like to pull it yeah, back, not to even Star their Wars. expenses, oh. their profit. Ah, just yeah. well, makes me mad. Yeah, yeah. I obviously have. We, I think we all have a lot of thoughts about this, especially in like the age of streaming. Mm-hmm. So it's important to us to be supportive of. Those yeah, movies. I mean, like, I think that like the popularity of the most recent Star Wars show, like they moved. Um, normally, Disney Plus drops their things at three um, at three a.m. Eastern time, midnight Pacific time in, in the morning on Wednesday. But um, with this most recent Star Wars show, Disney Plus has uh, switched over to uh, premiering their episodes at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Tuesdays. Oh, God, yeah, we're missing it. Um, no, we're not. I we still have half an Tuesday. hour, but like we'll. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll, why don't I? We'll be late, but I don't care about that. No, um, it's just funny. I I, for, I thought it was Monday all day. Oh, really? Oh, are you guys talking about um, the new episodes of Ahsoka? Yeah, but yes. anyway, but anyway, I mean, like, but but the fact that you know so many people are going to watch Ahsoka um, at this point and it is you know something to be said at you know paid writers and your actors. There is nothing. At, at this point, you know, even with p- things like Netflix and Hulu offering ad-supported subscription plans, um, there's nothing separating these subscription plans from cable TV anymore. So why not just pay your writers and your actors? And to bring it back to Star Wars, um, I, I talked about this a little bit back in Rebel Season 1, but um, I mean, I'm thinking about Rebels. I, I think about Rebel Season 1 a lot whenever I think about these um, unions because Rebel Season 1 really could have been a lot better if... Um, uh, the writers, animators, and actors had been able to um, 
uh, be protected by the unions and stuff because they only had about nine months to create that season. Um, had about nine months to write it, to direct it, to animate it, to write, do the music. Like it's all of these things that are. I just just an, pay for just pay your people for the work that they do on yeah. an infamously on a living slash budget wage. too. Yeah, on an infamously yeah. slash budget. There was a reason why Kevin Kiner had to go and uh, pull in a lot of themes from the original trilogy into Rebels is because anyway. Well, everyone oh, needs I, to unionize, but in this moment we're talking about the writers fact. and actors. <laughs> yes, uh, I have a fun fact that could be edited into earlier. Uh, for Andy, which is that the original score for Clone Wars that Kevin Kiner recorded in 2008 was recorded with the Prague Philharmonic or- Orchestra. Oh, that's really awesome. That's crazy. Yep. That's really cool. That was the orchestra uh, that they picked to record the Clone Wars score. It's got a very unique sound to it. Uh, and I think yeah. I remember that. Uh, but like, as it in terms of uh, how the strikes relate to our coverage as well. Um, yeah, sort of where that. Um, because w- within the SAG um, guidelines, like this wasn't like all of these um, people pivoting away from covering movies and TV show are doing so at the behest of um, the Screen Actors Guild rather than the Writers Guild of America. Um, but just per uh, SAG guidelines, we um, we should not be promoting any kind of struck work, even if it uh, premiered several years ago. So we are going to be taking a pivot away from movies and TV, and we're going to be discussing discussing books and comics for the foreseeable future. Um, Hopefully it gets resolved with the fair demands being met and uh, the industry returning to work and us returning to Star Wars Rebels because Andy needs to see a good Sabine episode or I'll explode. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm missing it. I'm missing it a lot. Um, but for now, in this moment, we are going to be covering The High Republic Adventures by Daniel Jose Odair, as well as a couple of extra fun novels that we will keep in a surprise. Um, so yeah, we, we, um... But which may have been mentioned on this podcast before. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Um, yeah, so, um, <laughs> but yeah, so we, um... We didn't want to do the High Republic itself because, I mean, number one, a lot of other people are doing High Republic at this point. Um, not a lot of people are doing High Republic adventures. Um, number two, Andy has repeatedly expressed their interest in a Jedi Hogwarts story, and High Republic adventures is as close to a Jedi Hogwarts story as we're going to get. Um, and also, High Republic adventures is just good. Daniel Jose Aldair really does some good work with these characters, and... Um, it's also a really great queer, um, queer story. So yeah. Anyway, um, so for this episode of First Steps yeah, of Star we, Wars podcast, what are we reading? We yeah, what are we, reading? we read. Let me actually pull up the drive with my notes. Hold on. Uh, we read the High Republic Adventures um, prologue, Tales of Villainy, The Gaze Electric, and then we watched or not watched. We read um, High Republic Adventures issue one, Collision Course, and High Republic Adventures issue two, Showdown or Bralinac City Smackdown. Um, all of so for uh, right now, we'll go ahead and talk about the prologue, The Gaze Electric, written by Daniel Jose Alder, art by Nick Brokenshire, colors by Rebecca Nalti, letters by Johan Natali, and cover by Ariana Florian. Um, if I if I recognize or if I butchered any of these names, I apologize for that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like, what was y'all's opinions of Tales of Villainy, The Gaze Electric? 
So the, so the thing that was like interesting for my experience is that I accidentally so I read volume one and two and then I went back and read the the uh, prologue. So I actually saw the prologue after one and two and it was really cool because the color palette was super different. Um, yeah, and really that could have just me, also been like. It really reminds me no, of 90s Star Wars comics. It well, yeah, I felt like it was very old school with the like oranges and pinks and some of the like. I'd have to pull it up actually, um, and I'm not it's going the to sort of because the website bluish I used purple is cancer. It's the yeah, bluish yeah, yeah. purple that really makes me think of like uh, Dark Empire, which is an old Star Wars comic that, I mean, it you can't read it because it's set after movies you haven't seen, but was one of the first. Uh, post the when they were starting the expanded universe what eventually became legends that was one of the first things they ever did and it was a very stylized thing and i think it went a little far but i really like the stylization in gaze electric yeah i thought i thought it was very cool uh, and it was very the art was really good at like signifying like these are the bad guys like that was in comparison to what volume one and two look like where we are with our heroes. Yeah. I enjoyed the art. I honestly didn't really know. We, I don't, we don't know enough about what's going on yet. For yeah. Me to have much to say about this. issue. So, so why don't we actually give a little bit of background on your experience with higher public candy? Um, because this right. takes place pretty much immediately after the book light of the Jedi. Um, and Andy, you have read what about half of Light of the Jedi? Yeah, I read like half of Light or of like two thirds. But so yeah, this is um, we're facing after effects of the Great Hyperspace Disaster, which was when a large um, freighter um, ship called the um, Legacy Run collided with something in hyperspace, causing the Legacy Run to fracture in several pieces and um, emerge um, from hyperspace at high velocities posing incredible danger to any planetary body that these pieces of this ship um, hit. So um, on the first page, we see um, Dr. Uttersand, the Shadrafan doctor um, for the Nihil. He is kind of a, you know, mad scientist mad scientist kind of dude. Um, and he is in the room with uh, the hyperspace savant, Mari Santeca who has the ability to look into the force and see uber-specific hyperspace paths where you can basically come out of hyperspace at any point that you uh, need to, no matter how close it is to a celestial body. Um, if in hyperspace you get too close to a celestial body with a big gravity well, then or you emerge too close to a celestial body, then there can be very bad consequences. Um, but the Nihil are able to do this and they have a, and it, and it's these, and it's Marnie Santeca's um, connection to the force and to hyperspace that allows them to do this. Um, I said, when I pitched this to you, that the higher public adventures worked very well without needing the information from a higher public phase one, which is true, except for in this very beginning moment, Everything in High Republic kind of hinges on the great disaster happening. It is the catalyst within the universe of the High Republic. 
So I, you know, I, I felt like it was okay to go ahead and let you um, read this because you have already read at least the great disaster portions yeah. of the light of the Jedi. Um, yes. Yeah. Like that stuff. And you got some introduction to the Nihil, but this is going to be your main introduction to the Nihil as the antagonists of the high Republic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. If yeah, that yeah. makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Actually, yeah. that makes uh, that that makes um, it make all a lot more sense. Uh. <laughs> so what is yeah. happening in this moment is Maria Santeca is using her abilities to she has figured out that um, two of or that several of the many pieces of this ship are going to emerge in the Trimant system and they are going to hit um, uh, celestial bodies in the danger in the danger zone include Corbital, Ostamalkar, Tasmalkar, Trimant 3, and Trimant 4. So these are all planets within uh, that circle, the um, Trimant, that are in the Trimant galaxy system. And they're pretty close to each other, but the most populated of, the f- of those ones is Trimant 4. Anyway. So yeah. Uh, Dr. Uttersand um, goes to inform Martian about this. Martian is interested in Trimet 4. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is we see Martian with um, in this moment with two helmets on the table next to him, um, both the helmet that he starts with at the beginning of Light of the Jedi and the more opulent um, helmet that he puts on at the end of Light of the Jedi, um, signifying his like greater control over the Nihil. And this is, and, and like seeing Martian in his different helmets was always very interesting for me um, because it kind of, you know, shows like what he's going to be doing. He's got the sleeker, um, more more austere looking helmet. That's just the smooth black one with the blue markings on the front um, for moments when he wants to just go in and get shit done. Um, but when he wants to demonstrate that he's the leader of the Nihil, he's going to put on the, um, you know, more kind of gold crown looking one. In Light of the Jedi, it describes um, his, his second helmet as a crown. Um, so yeah, and also uh, we do we importantly do not see Martian Rose face. Um, I actually don't know when the first time we see Martian Rose face is, but it is definitely not here. I know they show it eventually. Yeah, eventually. But yeah, the Niles whole thing is the the sick looking masks. Yeah, I remember. I remember back when they first sort of revealed High Republic that that was it was a concept art uh, showing the Nile that I think one of them eventually would go on to become Lorna D. Uh, and it was so love her, but it was the, the Niles whole visual deal is one of the more striking star Wars antagonists. Like there's a lot of, a lot of times star Wars antagonists can sometimes get fall into the trap of either you're doing the empire or you're doing Boba Fett. Like the, the, those as some of the more iconic things from the originals, it's how you get Mandalorians. Um, and I think, it works really well for the High Republic's main antagonist to be this different. Reminds me a little bit of the Tales of the Jedi comics, again, from the 90s. Again, not canon, but went a really wildly different way visually with Star Wars in a way that I think the Nile honors and also works really well. Yeah, visually, nothing ha- in Star Wars has like struck me so like viscerally um, since... Like Emphis Nest, like truly, this is. And actually, my girl, can I make a little? I mentioned this in the solo episode. I remember, but um, Emphis Nest leads a group of uh, I forget what are they bounty hunters, smugglers, 
rebel. I mean, they're a rebel depends faction. On, depends on yeah. who you ask. <laughs> I mean, and it's it's a little insurgent group of called the Cloud Riders, um, and they wear masks. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is with Nihil, we don't see that we don't see this uh, with the Nihil. We don't see this a lot in the High Republic Adventures. That's a lot more in the books themselves. But there is a lot of storm imagery that come with the Nihil. I won't explain why that is because that's a spoiler for a comic later on. Um, but the Nihil are very, very much dedicated to the idea that they are a storm of chaos that comes on upon the people that they're going to subjugate. Um, they, you know, there are three main factions of the Nihil led by Tempest Runners. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, platoons of Nihil are known as a cloud and a small group of Nihil are known as a strike. So a lot of storm imagery. And that's what really makes me think that, um, Infest Nest and the Cloud Riders, whether it is Infest Nest or Infest Nest, the older one who. Mama Nest. Mama, Mama. Nest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, if if they're not connected to the Nihil somehow, if yeah. they're not connected to a, an offshoot group. OK, anyway. that's really interesting, because when I first saw them, I was like, whoa, they look they have a really like not similar, but like also not dissimilar look like there's. Yeah. That's one where, like, I don't think it was the intention at the time. Uh, Well, no, because Project Luminous was, Solo was what, 2018? Yeah, and production design timelines would have put that probably back in 2015 or so. But Project Luminous itself, which was the code name for High Republic before they announced it as High Republic, was up and running, I believe, by this time. So it is a logical conclusion that one could assume yeah. that the Project Luminous people took inspiration from the Cloud Riders when designing the Nihil. And that's what I was going to say is I think it's a pretty much a no-brainer that eventually the next time, whenever they finally fucking do it and put the Cloud Riders back in something, it, they will be confirmed. Their Nihil heritage in some way will be confirmed. Wow. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, no, it's a Slay. there's not I had far less to say about Gaze Electric than the other one aside from visually. It, it there aren't that many memorable characters in it besides the mm-hmm. ones I already knew like Martian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the biggest characters in this issue are in, in the Gaze Electric are Martian Rowe, Dr. Utterson and frankly Zagyar, I guess, cuz he shows up in the next couple in the first couple of issues of High Republic Adventures, but um Yeah, I mean, like, this is... So, I'm coming... Me, Calvin, is coming at this from a perspective of... I. This is Tuesday, September 5th, when we're recording this. The new High Republic book just dropped today. I'm already halfway through that. Um, But, like, so I am completely updated on on high republic neither of you two are so i have a i frankly have a lot to say about this issue but i can't say it because of spoilers uh for specifically Mm -hmm. phase two yeah it it seems like this is very much a part of the ongoing story versus high republic adventure specifically obviously it sets up what's going on yeah this it seems like i can tell that it's like oh it's an innocuous little story about some villains doing a, a very small bit of villainy and then it seems like it's seeding so much. Yeah. Um, but I, I, because of that, it does, it feels kind of disjointed to me on its own thing. I know it's just a little mm-hmm. mini story, but there's just such a huge quality jump for me when we get into Higher Public Adventure. Yeah, even just, though they're like written by, Dan, they're all written by Daniel Hazel Dare. Um, yeah, the, it's all crazy. The first issue of Higher Public Adventures is just so dynamite. Yeah. 
I completely agree. Um, you know, you were, we were saying some stuff about, um, like the, the, you know, the design of the Nihil and how striking it really is. Um, I just really want to point out, um, we get a galactic data file because one of the things that the higher public adventures does is they'll just, you know, put little, uh, if they need to fill in a page, they will just put in an extra little, here's a map of the galaxy. But, um, we get this really great picture in this one of the um, spider cruiser I that the Nihil use. Yeah, that yeah. was very cool. Like, yeah. So that's um, and also the squall spider is just a really great name for a ship. Yeah. Um, I it it just also looks rad as hell. Like that sh- that oh my god yeah yeah super cool very spooky for spooky season. <laughs> we're getting into september um but yeah and then the, the last thing that i had about this little pro i i two more moments uh two more notes i took yeah um number one we had the um the fact that the borgoranth eats the gamorian um that was just very funny because it's a moment where it's like the, the the two that are on the back of the giant creature they're like there's the bridge and there's garnak chomp sounds ensue oh not anymore <laughs> i wonder what a gamorian tastes like pork yeah yeah, no, you're right there. <laughs> Gamorians are the big are the pig creatures, so I have the answer for you. Yeah, um, and then also this little speech that uh, Martian Rowe gives at the very on, on the very last page of the issue that really really reminded me of the speech that Maul gives to the Mandalorians in Phantom Apprentice, because um, it's it's got the yeah. same vibes of I don't care about you, but I'm hyping you up to sacrifice yourselves. Um, which I thought was cool. He is looking fly as hell here too, Martian. Yeah, this is, um, he's wearing, he's wearing his, his sleek helmet and his father's cape. Um, which is awesome. Yeah, because his father, um, was a very big person in the Nile too. His name was Asgar Rowe. <laughs> but Mr. anyway. Mr. Rowe was my father. <laughs> yeah, my name is Martian. <laughs> anyway um so is that is that it for the gaze electric we should yeah, rename our podcast else, really. to the gaze electric but there's uh, already the a podcast called the gaze really? electric unfortunately ah, good yeah. for that. <laughs> Excellent. whoa yeah wow way too many star wars podcasts huh there are a lot of star wars podcasts um so yeah so we move on then to the higher public adventures issue one collision course um written by daniel jose Aldair, arts by ha- harvey talabau Colors, once again, by Rebecca Nalty. Letters by Jake and Wood. And the cover art by Holly, Harvey Tolibau and Kevin Tolibau. Um, So, yeah. Um, this one, this first issue, um, the uh, previously discussed emergence is happening on Trimet 4. Um, Zine and her best friend Crix are running away from it. Um, meanwhile, Lula and Lula Talazola and her uh a group of Padawans are heading to the planet to help stop the emergence or, or help at least uh, get people to safety. Um, but the Nihil attack, Trimet 4. And so a lot of chaos ensues. Zine reveals that she is force sensitive. And uh, we end the issue with the Nihil surrounding the Jedi younglings and Zine. So what'd you think? Um, so I have okay. So so my thing that I thought was like really silly 
is Lula ha- is like, I have a secret. And then Zine is like, I have a secret. And Zine's secret is like so for real. And Lula's secret is like, I just don't feel ready. Like, I'm just feeling. Well, Lula's inadequate. got really bad and imposter like, syndrome right now. Girl. <laughs> but it's such uh, I'm, an- sure, I'm sure that will be more prevalent in like the future. But right now it's like, okay, girl. <laughs> yeah. I really like the the way it is used as parallel storytelling, mm-hmm. though. To set up yeah. their whole deal. It's so economical in a way that is really can only it's it's unique to comics how how this works. Um because in a movie, you'd just be like, okay, we don't need all this through narration. You can show me this. But here the narration really works in parallel to just at least get, okay, so they're gonna have to work together. One doesn't believe in herself, and one is going to have to like lose do do the most forbidden thing in her culture Mm -hmm. if she wants to live yeah i mean like thinking about this as a queer story we've got the you know girl in the closet with learning that or figuring out her sexuality and you know the um yeah the it is from new york or atlanta who you know is raised by liberal parents (laughs) it's well like it's pretty much understood and is i think word of the author confirmed that the force is used explicitly as a queer metaphor in this story. And that oh, wow. has never been done in Star Wars, mostly because they only started letting gay people be in it a few years back. Mm-hmm. And that for me, I wish I like I would love to do the whole High Republic reading project. And I just haven't been able to find the time and effort and good at reading anymore to be able to actually do it. But I read High Republic Adventures when it was coming out because I was so struck by Lula and Zine's story. Although I will admit, I still don't know which is which, even if a gun is put to my head. I cannot attach their names to the right Zine person. is the pink one. It's I know Zine very, is the pink one. I read like the comic. Zine, again. pink. They have the same vowels. They have in the there. same. Well, it's not even just that, but it's like one what? name is like a normal person name. Like, okay, maybe Lula is like a little weird, but like if someone was like, my name's Lula, I'd be like, okay, girl, like, okay, your your parents probably smoke too much weed. Like. If someone was like, my name is Zine, I'm like, you're a fucking alien. <laughs> if if someone said told me their name is Zine, I'd be like, oh, you're non-binary. You picked this. <laughs> you picked it. That's actually so true. That's actually very true. Um, so yeah, for me, it's easy because Zine is the pink one, is the alien. Yeah, she's the same species, I think, as those two Jedi masters from mm-hmm. the- Yes, uh, the clones. sisters. Yeah, they are Mickeyans. Yep. Um, they've got the, you know, wavy head tendrils. Which is such a cool Star Wars design. Yeah. Um, yeah, Zine is so pretty. I'm really obsessed with her. I'm like so excited for this. What? Yeah. Just as a one-off uh, note, I love how many non-humans there are in this series. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lula's best friends and like all the other Padawans. Yes, I enjoy. I enjoy yeah, humans because it feels it feels so silly to watch Star Wars and it's like everyone here is a human when we are in outer space and there's aliens and it's like. It's like, you know, one or two out of ten will be a wacky alien. I want everyone to be a wacky alien. Yeah, and the problem with Star Wars getting back into live action is without the limitless coffers of George Lucas, it's very expensive to make aliens look good. Yeah. So it's done with varying success in the live action stuff. Hello, Grand Inquisitor from Kenobi. 
Yeah. Um, and that's why I think, I don't know, this all feels very animated Star Wars to me mm-hmm. in a great, in all in positive ways, including the fact that it's all non-humans. Yeah. yeah. Star Wars is just better like this. Um, yeah, don't no, at me. I, it's, don't it's, at me, but... <laughs> I think this is just an incredibly strong issue to start a like it's a, it's got several good hooks you i'm i was remember reading this i was in on both the care the main characters the parallel storytelling and then the 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 way the conflict is set up we've talked a lot about the jedi in their ruin in the prequel era and when they were sort of at the height of their hypocrisy and the the reasons why they fell uh this the higher public is supposed to be the Jedi at their height. And so, of course, the first thing we see is them on a rescue mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just it was really. I um, I I think I liked the second one better just because there were some more like goofs <laughs> in it. it was, there were like there were two goofs in these. And I can't actually remember. I think the, the one I'm thinking of, I know, is is in the second one. And the other one, I'm just like, not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just good. It, it was really beautiful. I really liked these characters. Um, the action of it, like we're not too like, like we're in the middle of some intense action. But at the same time, I'm not like familiar enough with the surrounding situation to be like, I have all of these intense feelings about the plot itself right now yeah they're just still sort of in the midst they like you know what i mean so yeah. it's like cool 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 um i honestly am really interested in hearing more about like the lore of zine's like home and i would love culture. to tell you about that but i really can't because um no. <laughs> that's about that that's spoilers for phase two of the high republic <laughs> I bet it is. But yeah, that's something I'm really curious about because it's it's interesting. It's just very, very interesting to me. I could talk um, ad nauseum about the history of the elders of the path, but I do not need to. Yeah. yeah. So I'm hoping it comes up at some point. I'm hoping there's a, I get a chance to learn more about that in the comics. Um well, we'll see what happens with High Republic Adventures when when they kick off phase 3 um in December. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, so that I'm just curious. I'm just interested. I'm I like these characters. I like these characters a lot. And yeah, like you guys were saying, like I really have been wanting a story about like what it is like to be a kid and, and as a you know what I mean? Like a Jedi mm-hmm. kid. But anyway, Ugh. what you want is Jedi Hogwarts. Yes, what I want is Jedi, Jedi Hogwarts. I totally forgot. We Not to bring in the turf, but you know. Yeah. Um, no, I've been wanting to die Hogwarts, and so I'm happy to have it in a way that feels... Yeah, I um, I think it would be... I still think it would be cool eventually to get one set in the temple yeah. as the Hogwarts stand-in, but for this era of Jedi who are more involved in the world versus in their ivory tower... I like it. I like that they're out on a training mission and that we get to, we're getting to see this little gaggle of Padawans. And they're funny like the they the way they talk to each other is like youthful. 
Yeah, no, they they still really um get the one thing that I really noticed, especially in the second one, um, these kids are still kids, and Daniel Jose Alder still writes them as such. Um, I think to the moment when they are asking about what bucket, uh, what Torben Buck's nickname means. Um, yes, that was the one yeah. thing that was one of the goofs was the buckets of blood, and he's like. Because it's because they're still in your body. <laughs> and I thought that was fucking hilarious. Yeah. I was like, this is the funniest shit I've ever read. Um, and these kids are really funny. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I'm talking about Torben Buck one more time. I mean, like he's, um, it's just so crazy because he's Shagrian, um, which is, you know, the only Shagrian that we have seen so far in Star Wars is Massimetta. Um, and they're these big hulking people, but you know, it's the, it's, I, I love the trope whenever they got just like a big muscly hulking guy who is a huge softy who loves to fucking bake and, um, is a fucking healer. Yeah. Him being like, I was unprepared for this is funny. And I, I honestly really like that because, um, in like a, in like a, just like narrative story way when we have this kid who's like she's looking at the adults being like they fully know what they're doing and they're feeling really confident and they have no fear and it's then and then we kind of see like no he's feeling weird about it like he's fine like he's not losing it but he's also not like loving having to fight right now and i don't know yeah. i kind of liked that in the big splash page where everybody is uh, sort of fighting the Nile, everybody's get uh, Lula gets the for light and life, and they're they got yeah. their sort of like confident battle cries, and his his dialogue is literally oof, be careful everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not a he's not a warrior at all, and even though he's like in that panel looking so cool, like this Jedi here to save the day, which he is. Still that that rebuttal to Lula's internal self-hatred that everybody knows everything. Yeah. I mean, I think like one of the the things that becomes toxic for Jedi is this like standard that they hold themselves to. Um, And like we honestly we read about it. We read about it in and like Padawan and stuff of of Obi-Wan being like, I can never. Obi-Wan is one who I associate with this. Yeah. Of like, I can never meet this standard. And I think it's so much better when actually they learn to embrace the fact that like we're imperfect. We all have our different strengths. And that's kind of a good thing. Um, and so I hope Lula finds that. <laughs> I hope Lula doesn't just like die thinking she's inadequate. Next issue. Mm-hmm. She's dead. <laughs> um, that no. does not happen. No, that's yeah. not. I'm sorry. Um, they this is Star Wars. You're supposed to be happy. Teenager. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah. Um, let's see. Um, you know, I, I really loved the moment with um, Zine and Cham Cham, um, her little pet crew. Uh, where where she's yes. like, I don't know if Cham Cham can feel the force too, or if he's just feeling my scaredness. I I don't know why I liked it. I just liked it. No, well, I fucking love a little uh, freaky little sidekick. Big fan of Cham Cham. And that's such a it's it's something that Disney era Star Wars has done incredibly well is really emphasize the connection to the natural world in your ability to connect with the force. 
Oh, you're so smart for thinking that. I was just like, it's a little guy. <laughs> oh, it is definitely a little guy who gets his big damn heroes <laughs> moment in issue entire two as arms. well. <laughs> he is so funny in issue two. So the other thing that like really cracked me up was when <laughs> Yoda's like, I got to get away. And then Cham Cham's like, Rah! and then he goes, oh, Cham Cham. <laughs> yeah, sort of so like. So that panel's so funny of Yoda being like, oh. Jock Yoda in these is funny. I remember there was a lot of discussion of that when this first came out. And I think it's he's obviously 200 200 years younger. So he's a little more spry than the Jedi Master of the prequels. Um, But it's yeah, it's fun to see sort of action Yoda. But he's still also I, I have found that especially in not filmed Star Wars, it's very hard to get Yoda right. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's one of my biggest complaints about this. I um, I really love most of Harvey Talabao's art. I cannot get over the way that he draws Yoda. Have I, you? That's not what I'm talking about. I don't. I don't care what he looks like. He's just a frog. Writing Yoda is tough. Oh, there's a balance of him between his irreverence, his super serious prequel version, and him as the teacher. And there's just some. There's some classic Yoda lines in this. The line about we can only. Uh, that's uh, that's issue two. Are we on issue two yet? Uh, I mean, we're still on can issue we one, but we've just kind of been talking whole... about it all together. Yeah. yeah. When he talks about you, can, we can only save who, want, who wants to be rescued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is a classic sort of. That's I was waiting for teacher. him to say some shit like that. Yeah. We that's that's he has given Cricks a lesson to learn, even though he's not a Jedi student. But it was. But I fucking loved that he literally like already knew what was going down was like he's not gonna come with me and so he was like i'm gonna give you um like a calm a flip phone i'm gonna give you a burner phone (laughs) yeah like so so you can like when you're ready you can contact your friend like i he really yeah i know i loved that moment i thought that was such a good like like yoda is all about like leading people to where they need to go but knowing that they have to take steps by themselves like he can can give people options and point them in a a direction but like ultimately yeah people have to be ready for that shit um yep yeah and this is uh i will say something that has been in yoda's character since the original trilogy uh you you essentially just describe things that'll happen in movies you haven't seen and uh it's it's one of it's pretty much my favorite aspect about yoda the teacher a version of his character I wish we get to see more and uh, luckily High Republic Adventures is there for me <laughs> so something I really I something I really like love about Yoda's character is I think like in other media that I've seen or honestly even like books that I've read like I've read a lot of like vampire books <laughs> um, of people who have like lived for a really long time a lot of the time those characters are personified as being like I've lived for a long time and I've seen all these people die and it's made me really mean and not want to care and closed off. I've lived for a million years and it's made me, I hate everyone and no one is worth my time and no one understands me. And, and like, they're really bitter and like upset because they've just seen a bunch of people die. And I totally get that. Like, yeah, it's not, not that that's not like a valid personification of these people and of this experience, but I really love that Yoda instead has like lived a really long time. And so it has made him very like obviously wise, but it's made him really loving and really caring. And it's made understanding certainly understanding. And and, like this idea of like, I have lived a long life and I've seen people die 
and it actually has, and it's like, um, everyone is important. I think that's, um, no, I don't know if that's actually something he says, but it's like a thing that he like shows is like that he truly values everybody. Like he truly values each person that he meets and interacts with. Yeah. I think back to the ambush episode of Clone Wars. Yeah. So the, I, I would argue, well, it's, no, there's two two pieces of Yoda content that I would argue are, I think, the best ever. One is in shit we have not seen, and one is the ambush episode, specifically yeah. his conversation with the clones. Um, yes, but just like generally speaking, he's he values everybody. He really like loves and values everyone and makes people yeah. feel seen and makes people feel like special. And that's really cool. <laughs> like, that's yeah. really, really cool. It's a great quality to have in a mentor and a teacher of young students. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of young students, I do like, so obviously Lula and Zine get the spotlight as our two protagonists. But I like that this this is a comic that was marketed for younger readers. Um, it's a sort of a YA-ish demographic. Mm -hmm. And so we've got our kid on the Nile with cricks <laughs> and i think that's fun that we've got sort of audience avatars with both of our groups we're more familiar with the jedi just generally as star wars people so we don't have to have as much of a recap of like okay here's the jedi's deal but we're gonna i like i learned a lot of my exposure to the nile was through this comic and therefore through cricks and i, I really i like those characters i really liked cricks uh, I really liked his character design because it was very reminiscent of these characters, these like boy characters from old cartoons of like cartoons kind of from um, I'm thinking of like Fern Gully, um, Anastasia, Rescuers Down Under, Rescuers Down Under, like those sort of old, old cartoons, but not like old, old cartoons, those sort of like. 80s, yeah, 90s. 80s, 90s, yep. It was sort of the house style to draw young boys in at the time. Yeah, with that like kind of shaggy hair, but and, but like boyishly handsome and the freckles. I just was really a big, I was just a big fan of it. I was like, I think that this is kind of like it fit. Like, honestly, the whole aesthetic of these volumes was kind of reminiscent of that art style in some ways. But him specifically, I was like, oh, my God. Um, yeah, well, and I like, I was thinking a lot about Nimona as I was reading this. I don't yeah. know if you've seen Nimona, either of you. Can we um, talk about that? Like, I don't know how much we can talk about movies and things. Oh, damn. All I will say is that it is a similar level of queer allegory in the storytelling. Yeah. Um, and so I won't go into specifics either because you guys haven't seen the movie, but Cricks, just analyzing him specifically, seems to me to be an avatar of what can happen when the bigotry of a community affects kids. Yeah, because absolutely. if you look at him every time he's drawn, he's got those big, sad eyes and these innocent one like wonder expressions. But he leaves his friend because he learns that he learns that she's gay functionally. If we're going with the queer allegory, he defaults to the the bigotry of the community over his meaningful relationship with his friend. But it's also like not to say it's not his fault, but he was doomed from the start. 
Yeah, when like you're I raised like that. I really I mean, feel like, bad for Crix in this moment. Yeah. Like, I mean, his entire worldview was completely shattered in about a half an hour. It's like, first, you know, his there's a giant fucking piece of a, of a, of a spaceship yeah. heading a towards spaceship his fell island. fell on his house. And then his uh, best friend has come out as gay, which he doesn't accept. And um, now he's got to, like, prove himself to Martian Rowe. Now, yeah, he got kidnapped by a motorcycle gang. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because, okay, so first of all, it was, like, funny because he's like, don't worry, Zine, I'll protect you forever. And it's just like, as soon as he said that that stupid shit, I was like, you are going to betray her, you bitch. <laughs> um, well, so it's always characters who are saying stupid shit like that. that are but like, mm. to me, that revealed you have a crush on your lesbian friend. <laughs> like, you, yes. you oh, have a absolutely. tiny little baby crush absolutely. and you... You are not going to be able to handle this. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. And um, I kind of, again, that's like a big part of why I wish I knew more about this like hatred or not like hatred, but this like, no. Yeah. this like really these very visceral feelings about the force. Um, because I like to me, his feelings seem a little silly and I'm kind of like, I don't know why this is such a big deal. Um, again, like, I guess it makes more sense knowing like, oh, this is an explicit queer allegory, but even then just like lore wise, it's kind of like, yeah. And that's kind of how the way higher public was was designed because I mean, you're in the same position as everyone who was reading, um, these issues back in January and February, 2021. I mean, like, here's this random cult of people that don't accept force sensitivity, um, don't think it's natural and we know nothing about it. But then when, um, cause higher public itself is, um, structured in the same way that the Skywalker saga is, you've got original, you, you tell the middle of the story first, followed by the beginning and all of that followed by the end phase one, two, three. Um, and so you read phase one and then you go back and you read phase two and you get a lot more context for the shit that happened in phase one. But this is all, uh, uh talking about, you know, if if you're reading everything in phase one too, yeah, um, yeah, I just I just don't know like, how much I can say to you about it. Is it's cool no, it's to know that there is an explanation. Like it's it's nice to know that like the breadth of the project of High Republic is like interested in exploring these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's it's cool that there is an answer to why do these people hate the Force so much? Yeah, um, I think talking about the the comic in kind of a similar way that we do uh, when we do animation is like, I think the action sequences worked here um, where they, they were compelling and didn't sort of de- just feel like chores to skip through. Um, that was nice. I, 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 it's interesting trying to figure out how to talk about a comic versus a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dramatic pacing was good. The big starlight reveal is great at the end. It's yeah. just a, it's oh, yeah, a I very pretty that. comic. Yeah. Um, and also, I I really want to... Do either of you know, in comic books, when there is a sound effects sound effect, like a boom or a thwap or something like that, who is responsible for writing that? Is that the writer? Is that the artist? Or is that the letterer? I am not sure. I believe it varies. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's this moment, I really, whoever created these sound effects, I really want to extend a round of applause to, 
Um, and th- there's this moment in episode one where we've got the Nihil shooting a bunch of guns at them, and the sound effects are Fushwoom, Baganga, and my favorite, Bib 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 Brap. Bib Bib Brap. Bib 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 Brap. Yeah, so it's like. But that's <laughs> such a. I love that part of comics, though. Exactly. Like, no, the, I love the that. Onomatopoeia is yeah. so good. I know that there. So in in the Transformers fandom, there was the the old Marvel comic in the eighties. One of the writers for that had. Uh, he was infamous for reusing bits, just like recurring manners of speech, just like these phrases he would say. The guys, his name was Furman, so they were called Furmanisms. And one of them was an onomatopoeia sound. So I think it's Daniel Jose Alder writing the words and then working with the artist and letterer to like locate them on the page. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it's sort of a collaborative process. I mean, yeah, I, I, comics for sure are an incredibly collaborative but process. But they've still, the, the specific way the words go to me has DJO written all over it. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um, so yeah, um, because of anything else, I, you know, I just, um, we, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, I do really love the device that Daniel Jose Odero uses and the, in the paralleling, um, Zine and Lula. Um, this is a device that he uses, um, throughout the entirety of the run pretty much, um, juxtaposing two characters by, I have a secret, I have a secret, or, you know, splitting immediately down the page and having the, this column be Zine and Friends and this column be Lula and Friends, you know? Yeah, it's the iconic image of the series, really, is their half their faces, each yeah. Zine and Lula. Yeah, and when the, when the text boxes do that, you know, uh, pink to blue gradient, and they're thinking the same thing. Yeah. And I mean, like... It's just yeah. well-executed visual storytelling. I love yeah. this shit. I love comics, man. Yeah. Um, incredibly low move for Ro to target for Martian Ro to target the medical freight so that he can make his escape. I just want to point that out. Mm-hmm. I'm a little annoyed. It looks like the Clone Wars medical frigate. It's a design trope I dislike. Yeah, but you have to understand. I'm, but but also technology, especially with a lot of these design things, typically go with wartime. Yeah, well, and and the but also no, you're right. I really wish that there could have been just like a High Republic because I mean the Clone Wars designs of ship and stuff are very like a Clone Wars and Empire are very like austere with their stuff, but like the High Republic is it's basically the Renaissance um, for the galaxy far far away. It's a little Knights of the Old Republic slash the Old Republic Legends for well, me. It's more where, like the Gilded Age, but yeah, Go where on. they just weren't that creative with the designs. High Republic has largely avoided this. The Nile spider ship, sicker than hell. Uh, the Starhopper is a really great ship too. Starhopper. Um, the Jedi Vectors even, mm-hmm. reusing that old uh, prequel design for the ARC-170. Or the V-Wing, I think, was it, what it was originally going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just a, a, a thing I noted, a little bit of a weakness. Doesn't really matter, but it's just a pet peeve I have about stories set in this era. Uh, I think the farther back you go, the le- the less it like think about the difference between Phantom Menace and where we are in like the Imperial era in terms of the design aesthetic. You, it should be getting weirder and weirder the farther back we go. All right. Well, that's all I have. I just want to but point yeah. out that at the very in the last panel of the second issue, Yoda looks really creepy to me. 
just gonna say it. He is like a hunch. I know you hate this Yoda. I do not hate this Yoda. I don't hate I don't it. Hate this Yoda. I don't hate it. It's, it's just fine. very out of place for me because like when when and I think this way detailed. about he is a little I think this way about Salvador Larocco's art to an extent. No, no, but no, no, don't, don't compare. That, that these was a complete. Two. Yeah, no, that's I, a low blow. Yeah. Um, but I, but, but my point being that Yoda, they are, they, they with Yoda, they've got to base the design off of a real life thing, um, off of what was in original and well, yeah, a puppet, uh, and the CGI in the prequels. Um, every other character here is designed for comic medium. Mm-hmm. So yeah, is designed to be seen in comic medium. Yes. So, but yeah, I, really love this series and i've been i it it was really fun to dig back into it i'm not a high republic girly in the same way you are calvin (laughs) but i this does this is a very it's a very cool i love this series both for its own in-universe merits and for what it represents and i'm really excited we're going to be covering it yeah yeah um so yeah that was um the end of the first little you know not the end of the first arc because the first arc of high republic actually extends until number five but that's the first little mini arc um what happens on trimet four um and so yeah um so uh we are still going to be continuing with uh books and podcasts over the next uh few episodes of our little pod books and comics over the next few episodes of our little podcast um next time on first steps of star wars podcast on next time on first steps a star wars podcast we will be reading the high republic adventures uh volume one uh issues three four and five starlight the mountain and showdown on junk moon bum, bum, Slay. Bum. Nice. we did it yeah that's that we did the podcast uh Welcome may the force back. be with you so swag swag i'm so slay again <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to First Steps, a Star Wars podcast. You can find us on Facebook at First Steps, a Star Wars podcast, on Twitter at First Steps SW, and on Instagram at First Steps Star Wars. You can stream us on any of the major podcast handles, and you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs>